listening to The Vault Podcast, bringing you diverse perspectives about 4IR innovations and the law, and providing a space for challenging the future of legal tech. These are the voices of law and technology. This is Vault. Welcome to the Vault Podcast. My name's Ashram Peramal and I'll be one of your hosts. On today's episode, we'll be looking into the world of NFTs, art, and what this means for Africa. This podcast was recorded as a live clubhouse session moderated by Narishka Bowen and joining Dean Joffe and myself. Without further ado, here's Narishka. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our discussion tonight propelling Africa through NFTs. This discussion is brought to you by a new community called Vault, the Voices of Law and Technology. It's a new law and tech hub which is bringing together diverse industry perspectives and examining the fourth industrial revolution innovations through discussions and debates such as this one. So today we're going to have a bit of a discussion, telling you a bit of background about NFTs, where did it start, where are we now, Uh, and as well as looking at a bit of the legal and policy considerations when it comes to uh, NFTs, uh, the legal and policy considerations for the now and for the future. And we'll also be looking at the impact of NFTs in the creation of art in Africa, which has really been a space that's super interesting um, and and a lot that is happening. And yeah, we will even chat to some creators um, of NFT art um, a little bit later on. So, you know, that's what we have lined up for you today. We're gonna start with a bit of a discussion and a Q&A uh, with, with some of our speakers who are experts in the fields of cryptos and NFTs. And towards the end of the session, we will also open up the floor um, for some Q&As from, from our audience members as well. Uh, so to start off with, we're just going to do an introduction of our speakers who are currently on the panel. Uh, my name is Narishka Bowen. I'm the founder of the LIT Institute. LIT stands for Law, Innovation, Technology Tomorrow. We uh, work on upskilling lawyers and really bridging the gap between law, technology, and the future. I'm also one of the co-founders of Vault with my fellow uh, panelists. I'll hand over to uh, Ashlyn now to, to introduce himself. Hi, everyone, uh, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Ashlyn Peramal, and I'm a practicing commercial and technology lawyer. I've been practicing for about 10 years now, and I'm based in an international firm um, situated in Johannesburg. I'm also a massive uh, technology enthusiast, and I've been advising our clients in blockchain-based business models since about 2017. Um, on the personal side, I'm also a keen art enthusiast, and I'm married to an artist and fashion designer. So this topic, for me, is quite quite close to home. Awesome. Dean? Thanks, guys. So thanks for the introduction, and I'm Dean Joffe. I am a commercial uh, attorney by background and also co-founder of Bitfund, which is an online cryptocurrency investment platform that seeks to remove the barriers to entry of investing in the cryptocurrency market through an easy-to-use and compliant platform. I am very interested in cryptos, and I'm currently pursuing a PhD on this topic, so I'm super excited about tonight and look forward to what the event has. 
Awesome. Thank you guys so much for, for introducing yourselves. And I think to, to start off the conversation, you know, whenever I um, have any discussions or presentations um, on a topic that can be a little bit technical, a little bit complex, I think the best way to start is at the beginning because, um, you know, sometimes we take for granted that people might understand what these technical terms that are being thrown around actually mean. Uh, but but I think for all of us to be on the same page as we as we go on this journey and conversation uh, over the next hour, I think Ashlyn, why don't you just start at the beginning and tell us what are NFTs? What does this stand for? What are we really here talking about? Absolutely, and thanks, Narishka. Um, it's, it's it's such an interesting question because NFTs are all the rage right now. And when you hear this topic being discussed, it's you know people throwing around words like crypto kitties, crypto punks, um, tokenizing Twitter feeds. It, it really, really does get a bit confusing as to what exactly you're talking about. So, I think I think we do need to understand that you know there's a social dimension to understanding what an NFT is, and then there's a technical dimension. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with the technical dimension just to make sure we we're on the same page here. So. The term NFT firstly stands for non-fungible tokens. Um, so let's pause a bit on the non-fungible bit and understand what that means. So firstly, we have to understand what something fungible is. And in the real world, a good example of fungible assets is um, something that is interchangeable or commoditized, i.e. a unit of that thing is interchangeable with any other unit of that thing. And a good example would be gold, sugar, money, those sort of things. In the real world, non-fungible items are things that are unique, scarce, and non-interchangeable for some other reason. Now, in the collectible space, this could be uh, because there's a limited amount of that thing, such as trading cards or lithographs, um, or it could be that because there is one of a kind of that thing. So that could be an artwork or an original manuscript. So those are non-fungible things in the real world. So what does this mean in the blockchain world? Well, um, starting with the the sort of quite popular now, CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties, um, these were based on an Ethereum protocol, which has by and large been the, the prominent protocol being used for, for NFTs. Now, in the blockchain world, we had the ERC-20 protocol. This is a protocol that um, basically creates the rules for fungible tokens, um, such as EOS, Tron, and Aeon. And the point there being is those tokens would have been interchangeable with each other. Um, however, um, the Ethereum protocol also has the ERC-721 protocol, and this creates this wonderful rules for non-fungible assets. Um, and this was picked up in about 2018 when the first widespread implementations for some sort of um, digital artworks was created with CryptoPunks. Um, CryptoPunks were essentially these little uh, bit by bit images of um, little characters which you could buy. And the latest one, I think, sold for $7.5 million um, as an NFT. Um, the first widespread implementation was uh, CryptoKitties, who... Um, basically was a platform, a gamified platform where you could create these little images of cats, you could breed the cats and then own your own very unique um, bred version of, of one of these CryptoKitties. And I remember playing this in 2018 and, and owning my own CryptoKitty and wondering what the future value of it would be. And I you know, wouldn't have believed in 2021 it would blow up as, as much as it did now. Now, um, once these sort of NFT sort of recorded assets on a, on a blockchain was con combined with the smart contract abilities of the Ethereum platform, um, such as the distinguishable asset registry platforms, that's when things become, became very interesting because these tokens, these non-fungible tokens can be used to represent a variety of things. They can be used to represent real world property or art. Um, for example, if an auction house chose to use that as its provenance register, 
But, and this is where it really gets interesting, they can be used to represent digital art or digital assets. And this is quite, quite cool actually, because what it does is it brings the world of fine art collecting to digital art, which is not something we've seen happen before. Um, the, these sort of blockchain-based tokens provide a sense of scarcity that is similar to original artworks um, and limited editions, uh, um, so similar to like lithographic prints. Um, and also provides a representation of that art that is unique and scarce by design. And that's that's kind of how it got connected with the digital art world and digital assets world. Um, how this blew up is people started realizing that there is value in these sort of virtual assets and a speculative economy started to develop around it. Um, there's the primary art, uh, uh, market for this with many artists trying to mint their, their art and, and using that as a means to, of generating value out of their creativity. And there's also a secondary market that's developed around NFTs. Um, so this is, this is how it's sort of emerged into what we're experiencing today. So as I understand it, I mean, you said CryptoPunks, you know, were created all the way back in 2017, then followed by CryptoKitties in 2018. Um, so it's actually been around for a number of years. It's not something that was created perhaps last year, but we've really seen a huge boom in the last year and specifically in the last few months, uh, looking at the the, the prices and, and, and the market share that it's been taken up. I mean, it's predicted that it's a $1 billion global uh, a market at present. Uh, we, we probably all have seen the headlines about the, the Christie's auction where the Beeple uh, uh, 5,000 days artwork sold for $69 uh, million, you know, and, and that's just on the art side. There's also, uh, you know, a lot of other types of NFTs that are also pulling in um, huge amounts of money. The NBA Top Shots, you know, one of the, 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 the most expensive pieces there where you buy a moment in an NBA game was $230 million. I mean, do you think um, COVID for the last year and all of us kind of having to really embrace our digital lives because we lost a big part of our physical lives, do you think that has impacted this this real uh, you know, boom we've seen in, in the last few months? Uh, do you think that, is, that has also had an impact? Absolutely, Dershka. I think that um, 2020 has moved much of our lives online and there's a greater sense of wanting to own a part of that space and that identity that that's created. Um, I think added to that, um, many galleries are closed at the moment. So um, especially when it comes to digital artists who would have done prints or would have used it as a mechanism to create events, they're now looking for a mechanism to continue to create value from the art. So I think COVID has definitely had a massive impact on how people look at this and understand the speculative value behind these sort of virtual assets. Added to that, I think that 2021 is very different from 2017. A lot of the underlying platforms are much, much more mature and can be taken a lot seriously um, as opposed to what it was like back in, back in the wild, wild west of 2017. Awesome. And I mean, we've spoken a little bit about art, but I mean, could you tell us some other use cases you've seen that are, that are taking off in the NFT space? Well, this is what's quite quite interesting and, and why it's so difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around NFTs because virtually anything digital can be made into an NFT. Now, the obvious example would be digital images, but we've also seen tweets such as Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Um, there's been a picture of William Shatner's teeth, which has been converted into an NFT. Um, there are examples of virtual real estate, um, which we can talk a bit about later and the implications of that. Um, there's also music that's been converted into NFTs. So, so virtually anything that's digital 
digital can be made into an NFT. And that's where um, we're seeing very, very interesting and, and surprising use cases starting to emerge. Thanks for that. Dean, I want to bring you into the conversation here. So we've spoken a little bit about the digital side and, and, and kind of creating these digital assets, but there's also uh, something on the physical side, you know, where something about bringing physical assets onto the blockchain, you know, so, so I really want to understand what's the difference, you know, between the physical assets on the blockchain, having digital assets, you know, is there this physical digital divide? Uh, you know, could you maybe just discuss a little bit about um, the differences between the two? Uh, absolutely. And I think before we get started, what's important to understand is two different concepts. And I guess a key example we could use to make this practical is, is purchasing a property. So if we think about purchasing a property, there's two parts. There's the digital real estate side, which is from an NFT perspective. And then there's actually tokenizing an underlying asset being a property. So if we take a, a NFT in mind, right? All NFT art is it's something that people are associating value with. So like currency, art's value is based on society's agreement about the value and nothing more. You know, at the end of the day, the value of the art has little to do with the costs and the materials that are used, but rather how much people are willing to pay for it. By the same token, if we think about a website domain and the other virtual assets, a website domain is simply a combination of letters that exist online. Now there are dozens of domains that have sold for, for millions apiece. And, and what we're doing now is, uh, you know, we're, we're taking a rare digital token and we're combining it together. Now, a key example of this is if we're thinking still in the, in the NFT space, digital real estate is something that has become very prominent lately. Now, Krista Kim is an artist who sold an NFT house not too long ago for $500,000. And a lot of people have asked questions as to why someone would pay this amount. Now, a key example is, let's think about a decentralized world and a virtual world where people want to start creating value on the blockchain. So imagine it where we had a brand like Adidas drop a new collaboration with someone. And what they wanted to do was give people the ability to get free virtual shoes for their avatars. What they could do is they could go hire out these NFT houses and put events into these NFT houses and allow people to come buy things like shoes. So, so what we actually have here is the possibility of various brands around the world uh, being able to use the internet and various assets on the internet to create these new virtual realities. So that's the one side of, 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 of the NFTs uh, on the blockchain. The other side is tokenizing an asset. Now, tokenizing an asset differs significantly from NFTs, and we'll, we'll touch on this later. But in essence, tokenizing an asset is actually securitizing the underlying asset so people can derive value from it. And this would be physical assets such as we know as, as uh, properties in a specific location or buildings, cars, and various other examples. Cool. Thanks for that explanation. Um, just following on from, from what you just said, what is the importance of tokenizing assets for Africa? I mean, is, is it something relevant? Uh, absolutely. So I think there's, in my mind, three important factors to consider. The first is that tokenizing offers, offers improved liquidity. So if we think about traditional assets such as real estate investments or, or shares in a company, Sometimes these aren't liquid assets, and it's often difficult and expensive to transfer ownership uh, 
And in most instances, you need a party who has the capital to outlay, where if you tokenize an asset, what you're allowing is a simple and effective mechanism to verify and transfer ownership on the blockchain. So that's one of the key important factors. A second is the international barriers. Now, it's notoriously, Africa has always been uh, had red tape around it insofar as exchange controls concerned and various other regulatory barriers, which has often led investors to be cautious about investing into Africa. But what tokenizing an asset does is it actually allows international, international barriers no longer become an issue because foreign investors can invest into different African countries without a lot of the, the hassle. And the third most important element for, for tokenizing assets in Africa is the fact that there's fractional ownership. Now, Africa is, has a big issue with a lot of people being unbanked. And in essence, what that means is that people don't have access to the financial system as other first world countries or, or even continents in this instance. So what tokenizing an asset does is it allows people to have fractional ownership and proportionately get ownership to an asset based on the financial means they have. So what this is actually doing is it's opening up a world for, for people who are unbanked to actually get into the financial system. Awesome. Thanks so much for that. Before we move on, I've seen there's a number of people who've joined us since we, since we started. So just to set the scene for, for those who um, joined a few minutes uh, later, um, this discussion is propelling Africa through NFTs, and it's brought to you by Vault, the Voices of Law uh, and Technology. We're a new law and tech hub bringing together diverse industry perspectives and examining the fourth industrial revolution innovations through discussions and debates such as uh, this one. Um, on the panel right now, we have uh, experts in the field of uh, crypto and NFT uh, law and regulation. We're not giving uh, legal advice, but we are kind of setting the scene and the frameworks to the background for NFTs um, and, and how we can actually harness the NFT and its potential uh, for, for Africa. We're not representing uh, the views of any organizations uh, based um, on our discussions today, but we are uh, co-founders um, of Vault. Um, the section that we just had for the last few minutes, we, we discussed what NFTs are and a bit of background and history uh, when it came to NFTs and the physical and digital divide. Moving forward, we're going to uh, look at a few of the legal and regulatory issues. And after that, we're going to focus on NFT art uh, in Africa. And we will also bring uh, some NFT creators up onto the speaker panel um, in, in a moment. And then after that, we will also open the floor up uh, to questions. So for now, I want to just chat through a few of the of the legal issues with our with our current speakers. Um, so Ashlyn, I'm going to come back to you. One of the the other um, issues I've been seeing uh, discussed on the online forums is that around ownership. I mean, what are you actually buying when you're buying an NFT? There's been so much debate um, around around this particular point. Thanks, Rushka. And it's such an important question to get right, because I, there's so many articles that I've read which are vague on this point. And um, there are some people who think that you're buying copyright. There are others who think that you're actually buying a, you know, an undivided share in the actual artwork. Um, and, and more often than not, it's not the case. So 
I think for, for a starting point, it's important to make sure that you understand that from a legal perspective, um, there is a you know mechanism for acquiring ownership in an asset, and that is different for real world versus virtual assets. Um, similarly, from a value perspective, it is important to understand that law doesn't always dictate um, the value of things. People dictate the value of things, and and the law tends to follow that. And 2017's boom with uh, Bitcoin and a couple of other um, cryptocurrencies is evidence of that. But with that aside, um, one thing is, is very important is that ownership is not always the same and the fine print that is associated with an NFT is quite important. Now, um, are you actually getting ownership if you're buying an NFT? Well, here's a question. Does the NFT represent a real-world asset, uh, for example, an actual artwork or digital artwork? If it's a real-world artwork, then my answer is maybe. It's possible, and it would really depend on the underlying contract um, or terms and conditions that are associated with that NFT um, because you can transfer um, ownership where the NFT, for example, represents delivery or some sort of evidence or receipt of delivery. But that's the real world. We, we, we're talking more about digital art and digital assets, and that's where it gets really interesting. Now, it's important to remember that digital, digital art is, by its very nature, fungible. Um, and, and remember our definition of fungible from earlier, it's where one unit of something can be exchanged for a unit of something else. Um, digital art is ones and zeros. You don't get any more fungible than that. Um, so what, what is actually the, the problem then? Well, um, what we need to understand is that, well, how do we create scarcity with that type of fungible underlying um, media? Um, and that, that needs to be considered along a spectrum because there are forms of digital art which are very fungible. For example, uh, a JPEG file. If I have a JPEG file of a tweet or a JPEG file of uh, an image that I've done, it's very easy for me to copy that across USB devices, to upload to the cloud, to take a screen grab of, very easy to make copies of. That's slightly more difficult when it comes to digital rights management. So for example, if I've got music and that music has some sort of DRM system built into it. Um, for example, at those days, I remember when there were certain music platforms, you had to insert your license key, otherwise you couldn't listen to the music. That's something that's less easy to copy because there's an inbuilt infrastructure around it that makes it rare by its very nature. Um, and then you've got perhaps something where there's much uh, more of a stack around um, what makes it uh, exist. And that's a, the example of a virtual 3D asset in a game. That asset exists as code within the game. You'll need the game. You'll need the processor. You'll need the whole stack of software that sits around that virtual, you know, weapon that you've got in your favorite war game. Um, that particular asset or virtual asset has a large amount of things that need to be associated with it to make it to make it real. And that's something that is much less fungible than your your JPEG file, for example. Now. With that in mind, you do have to bear in mind that that spectrum indicates there's a distance between the NFT and the artwork. And that distance can be very close, and that's a good scenario, or it can be very distant. So for example, um, you could uh, have an NFT, but the, the artist can still go on and make copies of the, the underlying artwork. So then what are you buying if that's the case? What are you buying if an artist can make copies of the artwork going forward? You're buying in my mind, a direct social connection with an artist. Think of it like a signed autographed image or a, um, a signed lithographic print where it's a limited edition, one out of a hundred. There is a social connection with that. Even though it can be copied, that is something you receive from the artist. Um, you've got a verifiable certificate proving it in the form of an NFT. So in my view, NFTs are a speculation or the market for NFTs are a speculation on the social, valid, uh, social value of owning a token 
representing that social connection. Um, and, and we have to understand that realistically, until the gap between the artwork and the NFT shrinks even further, um, that is in fact what you're investing in. So just to reiterate, you're saying that an artist could resell uh, a piece of art uh, or digital piece of art as an NFT, either on different platforms, on the same platform, copies of the same of the same piece of art. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes. So, and in more most instances, your artist will retain the copyright in the image. Um, although mm -hmm. the terms of conditions of some platforms do require the artist to agree that they won't continue to market the artwork or uh, create another NFT of the artwork. So. Um, it is important to bear in mind that the copyright is not something you're actually acquiring when you buy um, when you buy an NFT. Um, copyright is something entirely different. Um, if you think of the way in which copyright works, uh, and let's use an example, um, say you were looking at Harry Potter, right? Um, and you had copyright in the relevant text that makes up the book, copyright in that artistic work. Um, that copyright exists uh, for the purpose of creating multiple copies of that artwork and so that the originator can get value for it. In other words, again, we're talking about something very fungible, not something that's non-fungible. However, the manuscript um, of that particular book, that would be something that is unique and non-fungible, and that is something that would have intrinsic value. Um, and similarly, um, if you had a signed autographed version of the book, you know, signed by uh, J.K. Rowling, that would be the collectible aspect of this. If you want to think of NFTs in those terms, that's kind of where it, it fits in. It's, it's not talking about the copyright and the right to be able to continue to uh, limit other people from making copies of something. Rather, it's more about that original manuscript or, for example, assign an autographed copy of, of the relevant, um, relevant work. So following on the copyright question, what happens to copyright if I mint one of my tweets? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, most platforms that I'm aware of that allow you to mint tweets are actually just minting a screen grab or a screenshot or an image of the tweet. Um, and all that's really happening is that image is then associated with the cryptographic signature. Um, and then that NFT and that sort of moment in time is something that you you own. And you have got that social connection because that's been signed by the relevant person who created the tweet. Um, that has no impact on the underlying tweet because bear in mind that that's, again, ones and zeros sitting in the data server of the platform, in this case, Twitter or whatever else, um, you do not gain ownership to that. Um, it's not the case. And um, in fact, if there's any copyright in, in specific aspects of what was tweeted, um, there might even be risks in respect of using that underlying um, tweet in, in sort of whatever medium you choose. So as I understand it, there's a number of different platforms that meant NFTs and, and of course various different forms of NFTs. Now, maybe some of these platforms are, are a little bit more established. They've been around for a while and you know they've they they kind of have a strong following. But I'm sure some of these platforms may be very new, um, you know, may not actually stand the test of time. So what happens to your NFT that you've purchased if the actual platform disappears? Well, I mean that that's a it's a challenging question because uh, I would I would actually double up the question on what happens if the platform disappears, but similarly, what happens if the artist disappears? Now, um, when it comes to platforms, um, 
there is the possibility that the platform will no longer exist. And it then depends on what form of NFT um, you're acquiring. Now, if it's a fully decentralized uh, um, uh, example, so I mean, just to use a random example, we're not talking about Ethereum disappearing, we're talking about the minting agency, um, then your NFT should continue to exist. But um, depending on how your actual artwork is stored and uh, whether or not you've gotten a copy of it or whether it's stored in the cloud of that particular platform's uh, system, that's where the questions start to emerge. Um, what exactly is the situation? What happens to the agreement you've reached with the, the platform? So for example, if there's terms and conditions that guarantee you no one else is gonna make a copy of that NFT, what happens to that agreement when there's no organization sitting behind it any longer? The same thing also applies to, to an artist. Um, if, for example, you had an artist who's, as part of the terms and conditions of minting their artwork, said that you can uh, copy this and they would not make any further copies or further NFTs, well, what happens to that when the artist passes away, for example? Does that copyright then move to the um, estate and does the agreement that you have per the terms and conditions still apply between you and the artist? These are all questions that um, as these things develop, we'll need to answer. Now, I don't want to create a negative light on this because a lot of these are simple issues that need to be solved. Um, and they're, they're largely issues that need to be debated and, and had in terms of discussions between artists and, and buyers and, and the, the, the houses that create the ability to mint. Um, and therefore, it's, it, these are conversations that we need to have now so that everyone feels comfortable in the NFT space. Awesome, thanks for that. I want to move now, I move the discussion now to the regulatory landscape. And Dean, I'll bring you back into the conversation here. Can you tell us a little bit about what has been the African regulatory approach to crypto assets and then in particular to NFTs? Absolutely. So so I think the the broader issue to understand here is is how different countries are going to regulate crypto assets. Uh, as a whole, and then how they're going to get into the so-called detail of the underlying assets. Now, the position we've seen in most African countries, and I do talk with some exceptions, because if one's following the news, you will see Nigeria has been a key example, is that what, what most countries have said is that they are aware of crypto assets, and consumers must, must make sure they know about the risks associated with crypto assets. But for the time being, there's no specific regulations, and what a lot of countries have done, such as South Africa, is put together various intergovernmental fintech working groups to try and understand the underlying crypto assets and eventually try to regulate these crypto assets. Now, why this is such a big issue is two reasons. Number one is because of the, the, the blockchain not existing in any specific location and in essence, people being able to trade crypto assets freely, you have an issue of regulatory arbitrage which in essence means that if one country is regulating crypto assets in a specific way and another country is doing it in another way, there is room for a form of arbitrage and you don't actually have effective regulations. The second broader issue here is getting into the underlying purpose of crypto assets. Now, when we talk about crypto assets, we could be talking about a whole host of different things. We could be talking about security tokens. We could be talking about reward tokens, we could be talking about stores of value. And the approach the regulators have so far taken is to look at the, the parties facilitating all these transactions and trying to regulate them. What I would expect as, as industries uh, and specifically the crypto industry uh, 
uh, matures is that you will start having each underlying asset being regulated. Now, in terms of any particular legislation for NFTs, there, as far as I'm aware, aren't any specific legislations for NFTs in Africa. But one important thing to bear in mind is if you look in New York, you have legislation where the arts and cultural affairs law governs the sale of various uh, artwork. So what we may actually see in time is already existing legislation being applied to, to the underlying NFTs. Do you think the, the definition of a crypto asset will include an NFT and be regulated in the same way? And just adding to that question, similarly uh, to how cryptocurrency exchanges you know, have, have to follow certain rules and regulations, do you think the marketplaces that buy and sell NFTs may have to um, you know, follow similar type of, of um, regulations? Absolutely. That, that's a very good point. So, so in respect to the first question of will it be you know, regulated in the same way, I, I don't necessarily uh, think, it, it, think it will. I think the big issue regulators are going to face is regulatory arbitrage. And in my personal view, the reason I think many countries have struggled to regulate crypto assets as a whole is because, you know, in essence, there's four types of regulations. There's your private regulation, where you have rules such as, uh, you know, your governing legislation, such as IFRS governing how to regulate crypto assets. You have your public legislation and rules, which is governments trying to do that. You have self-regulation, which is the various service providers in the industry trying to do that. And then you have a ban on any form of legislation. Uh, I mean, a ban on any on any cryptos, which in essence is just an outright ban. Now, now will it be regulated in the same way? It's it's yet to be seen. But what I think we can expect is that the the platforms facilitating NFTs will be regulated in the same way as crypto exchanges. Because what the regulators concerned about is the intermediary, and what they concerned about is that the intermediary provides sufficient information to the end user to understand the risks associated with what they're doing. And they always want some form of consumer protection, i.e. that the consumer has recourse if anything goes wrong. So I do believe we will see a very similar form of regulation. Thanks for that. Uh, Just to let our crowd know, um, on Twitter, our hashtag is hashtag vault law underscore tech. Uh, You can follow the conversation there as well and also add to the conversation. Um, Now I'd like to actually move on to NFT art and NFT art creators or artists in in Africa. And we do have um, one of the most prominent um, artists with us uh, in the room today. So I'm going to actually add her to the panel um, right now. and. we actually want to um, ask the uh, Tabo. Um, I think. Sorry, let me just try again. Cool. So Lutabo uh, Huma, she is a NFT artist. She's been a digital artist for a, a number of years now, and uh, recently she even collaborated with. Um, and an AI uh, to create a piece of art called um, AI Known, where the AI was fed some of the artwork that Latabo created. And 
based on the artwork that was fed into the AI, uh, a robotic arm actually painted a physical version um, of the digital artwork that, that Latabo um, had created. Uh, I think Latabo is not on right now to speak, so I'll try again in a few minutes. Uh, but in the meantime, um, Ashlyn, if I can get you back in the conversation while we wait for Latabo. Um, can you just tell us, uh, you know, you, you spoke right at the beginning, you were discussing the difference between fungible and non-fungible. Can you just go back to that uh, concept and tell us from an art perspective, what is the difference between fungible and non-fungible in the context of art? Thanks, Anushka. Happy to answer that one. Um, I think the uh, best example of, of that would be um, if I had a artwork that I had painted, uh, and let's let's think of something like an Andy Warhol type screen print painting. Um, and let's say, for example, I could make multiple prints, lithographic prints off of that artwork, and I sign each of those as one out of 100 or one out of so many as a, as a limited edition release. Um, I think that's the best kind of distinction of what we mean by fungible and non-fungible. That original artwork is the is a good example of a single non-fungible unique piece of work. And similarly, um, the collectible version of it, the, the lithographic prints, uh, one out of a hundred, is very much like trading cards, the also a, a non-fungible element of this where there is a limited supply um, creating some sort of scarcity value. Now, um, in the art world, and uh, ignoring NFTs, but there is some debate and um, discussion around this, particularly around um, what happens if after you've created an artwork that is either li limited edition or a single edition and you've sold it, um, and if you continue to then reprint that artwork, what's the consequences? Now, there are many, many discussions that have happened in this, and the U.S. is actually even some case law. Um, Sobel versus Eggleston, which uh, it talks about the example where um, a guy essentially created a print of a tricycle. It was a Memphis tricycle through a dye transfer process. And he issued 36 lithographic prints. Um, and he then sold that onto a person who paid a lot of money for them. And then what happened was um, he later then converted that to a digital artwork and then created further issuances of this. And the original buyer sued on the basis of devaluation of um, his, his original uh, limited edition works. Um, the original buyer lost the case, and the reason was um, the new version of this, um, the the digital version of this, was it considered to be a new work, um, and it was seen that there was no devaluation of the original um, lithographic prints. And that's a good example. I mean, one thing I will note is copyright wasn't even part of the discussion in that case. This was rather based on uh, fraudulent misrepresentation, um, negligent misrepresentation, and promissory estoppel concepts in terms of US law, not copyright. Um, so in the in the art world, we can take some of the lessons learned from these kind of cases and apply them to NFTs. Um, and that's why, from an artist's perspective, it is very important to understand if any platform is marketing you, um, what terms and conditions they are applying to you. What are they saying to your buyers in respect of what you will do with the artist, with the artworks afterwards? It's good to understand that because it might create limitations on what you can do with your works afterwards. Similarly, if you're a buyer, it's good to understand what the artist can do if you are going to invest a lot of money into an artwork um, and really understand what socially you're buying. I think a lot of the trepidation in the space is because um, a lot of people are trying to compare this with something um, that is akin to the old art world. 
in my personal opinion, I think we have to recognize we're dealing with something new. This is a new social connection. It is a new social form of value. Um, and when you consider it in that light, that's when uh, a lot of the, the benefits emerge. Thank you. And um, what potential do NFTs hold uh, for artists? You know, why is this all relevant right now? And then a little bit further than that, you know, why is this important for African art? I'm happy to answer that question. And, and actually, this is one where I'd love for us to actually invite some of our audience members to maybe chime in because I don't think anyone has the the, the ultimate answer to this one. But from my perspective, art auction um, is a very closed space. It's very, very difficult to get into um, a, a space where you can be successful as an artist in Africa. There's the cost of art school and art materials. And even then, a very small percentage of people are successful. Um, and what this whole movement and, and, and phenomenon allows is artists to take some of that agency back um, and essentially like the effect that YouTube has had on content creation, um, this could have on African fine art. Now, this allows many black uh, artists uh, in, in, in um, Africa and, and worldwide to capture the value of their own crea creativity in a dynamic and, and much, much more robust way than is available in current mechanisms, particularly digital artists who do not operate through current mechanisms and have traditionally had to show some sort of commercial value associated with their art. Um, it also provides supporters of African art a new way to show their support where you don't have to arrange for complex fundraisers, etc. Um, if you like something, it is very easy to, to show your support by, by purchasing an NFT of it. So I think that that kind of, um, that kind of dynamic and that kind of uh, evolving space is allowing firstly supporters to have much, much more means to show their support and artists to find much, much better and more nimble ways of, of commercializing the art. But that's my two cents. Uh, I would love to hear if there's anyone in the audience who's got a view um, on the potential for NFTs in Africa. Um, and if we have any other creators of NFT art, you know, please raise your hand so we can we can identify you. Uh, we do have somebody who put their hand up quite early on in the conversation. I'm not sure if they still um, have a question, but I'll bring them up to speak and we can hear uh, from, from our audience member. Um, Purple Plexed, I think is, yeah. Um, you still have a comment? Um, hello, everyone. Yes, Hi. I do have a comment. So um, I, was, I was just interested in this because I saw the link on Twitter, so I decided to join the conversation. But I think it's a South African conversation, right? Am I correct? So we were hoping to make it an African conversation, but currently the three speakers on the floor are South African, but we're very open to hear more voices coming through. Oh, that's perfect. So um, my name is Popo and I'm Nigerian. And um, I, I find this, the NFT topic very interesting because I, I do augmented reality stuff. And I have a couple of artist friends that also do NFTs. So basically what we're working on right now is um, an augmented reality gallery where African artists can exhibit their digital art. And um, the, the whole idea behind this is in Nigeria, where I'm from, they don't really take digital art serious. So if you take a dig digital art piece to perhaps a gallery or something, it's very hard for them to want to give you a chance to be exhibited. So I and a friend came up with the idea to build an augmented reality gallery, hoping to find amazing digital artists who have digital art or NFTs 
where they could exhibit the art. And say, for example, the same way you go to a Ferrari showroom to check for a car, um, augmented reality allows you to see those pieces physically around you. Like, um, if anyone is interested, I could send you a link to actually test it. And um, if you have any questions, I'd be, you know, glad to answer. By the way, this, this has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for uh, so much for sharing that. I mean, um, this is exactly the type of um, interaction we wanted to have. We wanted to hear what people are creating and what you're creating sounds truly incredible. And I think we'd we'd really love to to hear and see more. Um, we have a few other creators in the room, and I just want to bring the next person on board so we can hear what else people are people are working on. Uh, Liam, I think you should be up next. Liam, are oh, you... sorry, my mic was yeah. muted. Sorry, I was using sorry. a headphone mic. Hey guys, how are you doing? <laughs> cool. Okay, so uh, my name is Liam Fries. I'm from Zimbabwe, funny enough. I also got the link via Twitter, well, because I follow Letabo, like most of the stuff. And funny enough, I actually got into NFTs like through her, weirdly enough. Because I used to be a digital artist, like most of my stuff I do is like motion graphics and I do like Afrofuturist surrealist work. But I don't really use my government name. I go into like vintage Mozart. And then like the thing for me is uh, I actually learned a lot. But like the basis and the background of stuff. Because I launched my first NFT today, funny enough. But this wow, is on the foundation. Congratulations. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was a very, very big step because I was used to the printing background. I was doing that quite well. And then I just thought like for myself. I was more worried about royalties and every single thing. So I was a bit concerned like with like getting on sites and every single thing and even knowing things about gas fees and all this. So it's just a little bit of an overwhelming experience, like learning that you have to pay twice for certain things and all that. And then also like because uh, I'm from Zimbabwe, you do go through a little mm -hmm. bit of struggles because like sites like Luno, sorry, not sites, I mean like uh, crypto banks like Luno and ETC are not allowed in our region. So I have to use like third parties just to actually even buy Ethereum. So those are like some of the challenges, should I say, African artists can face, like myself. Wow. Wow. That yeah. is like truly, yeah, truly um, useful and practical things that, you, that you're sharing with us. And I don't know if there's any other specific um, legal or regulatory challenges you feel, um, you know, that, that, that needs to be um, dealt with so that we can actually um you know enhance and 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 um you know make make the number of creators uh bigger in africa i mean anything else you want to share, share in terms of challenges you faced um yeah um so like yeah for myself i do find challenges from like because like this week i think it was like a few months ago when i did find about nfts like i got into makers place as well because it was like mm -hmm. one of the, i i know it was quite a big thing i didn't understand it but then i was just pushed by a lot of my friends like yo dude um go to Maker's Place and I think Super Rare because those are like the ones where you get invited and then there was like the thing and then Foundation is kind of like a thing where you're asking people to invite you. So uh, those are like some of the things that I did find that um, when I did get my Foundation invited, it was actually funny enough, I had to befriend someone. Well, and then now we actually know one another and it was through asking people for invites. But at that moment in time, mm -hmm. no one was explaining what you need to do, how you do it, and then now when you're on foundation, you're like, okay, what am I minting? So these are like some of the things that are not explained. And especially like in Zimbabwe, I could be wrong. But I am pretty sure like on Maker's Place, when I did ask them, I think I am like maybe like the first two or three people from my country. 
and on foundation okay. i am not too sure like it's not a very very popular thing like it's, and it's kind of ironic that we right we next door neighbors with one another so those are like some of the little things that we're going to tackle like should i say like uh, zimbabwean artists are going through is just actually minting artwork like getting the ethereum just to actually mint your stuff and then in the end the little fear of how do i take my money out for example all that kind of stuff so these are like the small little hurdles that i like should i say that are for african artists right now that are, are going to like campus and besides that um should i say in zimbabwe itself we're a very traditional country because we've got a lot of successful artists so like mm-hmm. even mentioning digital art to people um i'll give an example when i was talking to my workmates all they thought about people was they said a jpeg was sold for 69 million they didn't think it was a piece of art so that's yeah. the kind of environment that i do like living like people are like ah oh, come on i can do that it's just a jpeg and i don't think people understand like what a monumental thing that was like for a lot of digital artists and like the platform that we're going to sure thank you so much for sharing um i'm just going to move over to the next two creators that are sure. that are in the lineup and then we'll we'll get some more comments from the speakers uh pule i think you are up next um please share your your journey yeah so sorry i'm not a, a creative a first thanks you for the panel no problem really enjoyed the comments and was super thoughtful the one question i just wanted to ask for the panelists is that a lot of the the platforms themselves are international in terms of where you load your content as a creative and i was wondering are there any african developed platforms that are in region created by africans where we can use that to post versus going to a super rare or maker's place etc is that something that you've come across i oh. i personally haven't but uh, dean go ahead yeah I, i can start to say that i actually haven't come across uh, any specific african platform and as we've been as you were asking the question i typed it in on google and also haven't come across any so to the extent anyone on this conversation knows of one please do share yeah cuz i just think there seems to be often a bias towards some of the other platforms to you know have a kind of western purely mindset and then you you come in kind of lost if you come in for a creative from the region but again i'm not a creative and i can't speak on their behalf but i think it would be it would be good to start having platforms that we've created ourselves as a region and as a continent and happy sounds, to support like anyone a, who's building it. Sounds like a big opportunity. If you want to build it, get in touch with Pule. <laughs> Thanks guys. Um up next we have uh not sure how to pronounce a uh, Liu or Laiu. Olu. Hi everybody. Um it's Liu. You almost had it. Liu. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um I am an Eritrean American artist. Um Uh, I'm self-taught and I'm actually an international relations student and so art is something that I kind of have done as a hobby most of my life and it wasn't until um a few months ago that I actually started pursuing it uh as a career. And um yeah, I hopped into this room because I saw the Tavo had posted about it and I was really interested in uh seeing what the conversation was about. Um Yeah, what the last speaker was talking about like a platform um built and created by Africans sounds very interesting to me. Um I basically came up to say that uh what I'm currently working on is a way to kind of merge the um the physical world and the digital world. 
And so um, the latest, the latest art piece that I had just dropped, um, it's in my Instagram account. Um, I'm going to be donating a portion of uh, the the proceeds that I get from that piece to this uh, organization in the Horn of Africa. It's called One Day Seum. And what they do is assist and advocate for on the behalf of refugees in that area. And so what I'm looking to do is basically find a way to um, create like a decentralized platform, a decentralized app where these refugees are able to um, essentially put their, um, like any type of important documentation. So whether it's identifications, property deeds, um, the names of family members, anything that they believe they're not able to take with them when they're leaving um, a conflict-ridden zone. And so I can speak on behalf of Eritrea because it's currently a dictatorship. There's um, no access to, to internet there. Um, and it's currently in a conflict with neighboring Ethiopia. And so um, a lot of the work that I'm currently doing is trying to find a way to use this technology to assist um, the most vulnerable communities. And I also sell art as NFTs as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Wow, thanks so much for sharing. I mean, what, you, what you're working on sounds truly groundbreaking. So thanks so much for, for sharing that uh, with us. Um, just to go back to our speakers now, um, you know, we've, we've had some really, really awesome um, insights shared by, by our um, audience members who, who came up, uh, a variety of, of, of um, challenges faced and a variety of different things that are actually being produced, you know, everything from AR, um, art galleries and, um, you know, a, a range of different, of different um, digital products. Some of the challenges being faced, though, um, kind of did go around regulations or perhaps the lack of regulations uh, in, in certain jurisdictions. And because certain uh, platforms are not operating in those jurisdictions, it actually creates um, extra red tape and extra layers or steps um, for African artists to actually engage in these marketplaces because, um, you know, it, it, it becomes even more, more difficult. Do you think that regulatory uh, bridge will be will be closed, or do you think this is, this is going to continue to be uh, an area of difficulty that will be faced by by um, creators in some in some African jurisdictions? I have a a view, and that is that is uh, whilst regulation is good, you do need regulation to again protect uh, all the parties involved in any form of transaction. The difficulty you face with overregulation is that you actually stifle innovation. And it's a very fine line, especially for, for various African countries. Now, notoriously, what, what one may see is that African countries have a concern when you start having uh, any form of innovation, you know, taking over certain markets where they would want control. Now, I think what we may expect in time is a regulatory framework that will either be too stringent or, or not, you know, or just follow global standards. But the, the one thing that I guess we always have to caution against is the fact that one cannot stifle innovation in this process, because as we've discussed tonight, there are multiple people on this call and all over Africa that are trying to innovate, trying to make a difference to, to all of their lives, and they need the ability to do so. Thanks for that. Um, Ashley? Uh 
I thought I'd also weigh in on this because I think it's it's quite an important one. Um, and it's something we saw not just in the wider blockchain industry, but in the tech industry in general. And that is that um, regulators tend to step in when self-regulation fails. Um, and that, that typically emerges where um, people use the, let's call it the gaps and, and um, the, the sort of the detail and the fine print to create loopholes and, and to their benefit. And that's where the, the importance of consumer protection comes in because there's the risk of fraud. And that is unfortunately prevalent and it, it taints the huge potential and benefit of the innovation. And the more we can do to prevent it, so the more we, we sort of take on now um, to ensure that those kind of bad actors don't influence the area, the better it would be in terms of regulation going forward so you know to those on the call who are artists um, i'd encourage you to to if you're working with the platform um to inspect what they're what they're putting in their terms and conditions to to understand what exactly it is that they're using to protect the people who are buying art from you because um support for the good platforms i think reduces the need for um, regulation because those platforms will be applying their own self-regulation. They will be applying internal policies on, on consumer protection and protecting you as the artist. Um, and I think that diminishes the need for, for uh, regulation in the space drastically. Thanks so much for that. If there's anybody else in the audience who has any closing comments or any last questions um, for, for our panel, or you know, just anything in response to to the other uh, stories that were shared, you know, please raise your hand so I can um, add you to to the speaking um, panel. Um, just you know, as as a closing uh, statement from our speakers as well. I mean, you know, what about some of us who are on this call? We're not we're not creators of art, but we may be potential purchasers. Um, of NFT art. Is there anything, you know, from a legal or regulatory perspective that we need to be aware of? You know, will it have uh, tax implications for me if I decide to, 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 to purchase, um, you know, a piece of art? Um, you know, what are, the, what are the implications for buyers? I'm, I'm happy to just give some two cents on that. I, I think the, the, the first one is that um, think of an agreement with the artist. Um, you know, you really need to know um, what is the, the sort of range between you and them, what you're buying. Um, understand the asset. Um, I mean, place it on the, what we talked about earlier, the fungibility spectrum and understand whether it's easy to make a copy and, and whether that's important to you or not, because in, in, by and large, it's not always the decision-making buying an F NFT. And then understand the risks. You're buying a cryptographic receipt, a, a ticket representing an artist's signature. Um, most often copyright still exists behind that and, and uh, copying can continue um, uh, and, and understand you're speculating on something of social value. Um, I think those are important things to bear in mind. I think the way to think about it is, um, to quote Warren Buffett, buy a stock uh, in the same way you would buy a house. You know, don't, don't just buy because other people are buying it. Buy it because you understand it. You like the tiles in the bathroom. You know this is something that's important to you. And, hey, it might be valuable in the future. Thank you. Um, we have a question again from the audience. Sanal, you can ask your question. Hi. Um, yeah, I think so. My background is in intellectual property and spend most of my time, um, well, initial time kind of shutting down a competition um, and now seem to be changing my perspective a bit. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, we've been having lots of issues with the Copyright Amendment Bill. The Copyright Act in South Africa is very outdated. But one of the things that's being proposed by the government is that no matter how much um, you know, the copyright in a, in a work gets sold on, 
um, that the original copyright owner should be getting a percentage of those fees. So I've just kind of been wondering this from, from you know, digital assets aside, just even the practical aspects, you know, somebody is on selling a book or piece of art, you know, how do you then trace the original owner or trace those transactions? So be interested to get your thoughts on um, if, for example, that legislation does go through, then how would that implicate NFTs to be um, compensating the original copyright owner for, for all these transactions? Well, well Sadala, I'm so glad you asked that question because um, NFTs at the moment are by and large based on the um, the, the 721 protocol. But there's a different protocol which can also be used that, that Ethereum has called the ERC-1190. I really think you should take a look at it because what that specific protocol allows is the creation of an ownership license and a creative license um, and then rental in respect of the digital asset that underlies that license. So if I create an artwork, an NFT, for example, I can retain the creative license and then sell the ownership license to someone else and that person can commercialize it. But every time that that person, for example, as a use case, sells that um, ownership license to someone else, I get a small percentage of that transaction automatically by virtue of a smart contract. Um, similarly, if um, they rent it out, um, in other words, they rent out the thing that I've, I've provided them, I could similarly get a, a small percentage of that, that transaction for each time it's rented. Alternatively, I could sell that creative license. So some of this language sounds very similar to the trademark registry and, and you know, uh, what you're talking about when you talk about proprietary rights and licensor rights. But ultimately, I think the, the rails that this creates is the potential for an artist, a creative artist, to have access to revenue from something they've created for the life of that thing being sold, transferred or licensed. Um, the potential that has for the music industry, for example, is absolutely immense because it disintermediates all the in-between role players and who typically would be responsible for challenging, challenging that revenue, challenging uh, that revenue back up to the artist. So um, take a look at the ERC-1190 um, protocol, really, really exciting for the copyright space. And just, just to add to that, I think another cool thing that I've seen with NFT art is that, um, you know, usually if an art artist sold a physical piece of art, you know, they'd get the proceeds from the first sale. So you sell it for $1,000, you make $1,000. And every time that piece of art is unsold, you don't really take part in that transaction. However, with the, with the NFTs, a lot of the marketplaces, the original creator gets piece or percentage of every single sale um, of that artwork, even down the line. So um, in terms of kind of ongoing, I don't know if, the, obviously, I don't know from a copyright perspective if royalty is the correct term, but, you know, they do kind of make an ongoing income from the sale of that of that piece of art, which I thought is quite cool if you compare it back to um, traditional, traditional forms of um, sale of art. I'm going to take one last question from the audience, and that's from uh, Erikan, or oh, last comment or question. Erikan, um, the floor is yours. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hello. Um, thanks for hosting this forum. I'm Erikan. I um, have built a community called Crypto for Black Economic Empowerment, CBEE, Latabo. I, are you in it, Latabo? You should be. Um, we got to change that if you're not. But um, uh, <laughs> are you in it? Yeah. 
Oh, okay, cool. Rose, who's in the audience, is also a part of it. I just wanted to share it briefly and also share a recent milestone that we achieved that I think really lends to the use case of NFTs across the continent. So essentially, we are a group of 140 Black and African people across the world, six continents, who are uh, crypto founders, investors, blockchain builders, and artists. And um, we essentially have um, decided that we want to support and elevate Black artists in particular, African artists in particular, Latabo being one of them. And last month, we mobilized around an artist named Micah Johnson around his um, first NFT of this year. Rose, who's who's in the audience, was a part of this as well. And within uh, one minute of the, his NFT being available for purchase, we brought in $1 million of sales. Within one day, 28 hours, uh, sales went up to a little over $2 million. So um, I wanted to bring this up because in the artistic sense, be it music, digital works, sort of a tweet, whatever it is, there's, I think there's two core parts beyond the asset itself that are really meaningful and obviously lucrative. And that is the story that is told around whatever it is is being positioned. And then particularly the community and the power of that community to act around that asset. Um, so one other thing I want to add uh, onto this, I don't know if you all have mentioned, but NFTs unlock an amazing opportunity for all stakeholders involved to become, a, to be a part of the community, but the community also own the asset. Um, so I think this is groundbreaking for Africa because we have so many assets that aren't even accurately documented, uh, documented and or it's difficult to match investments to their, our various assets, be they our creative IP or even our real assets like real estate and companies, et cetera. So my personal mission going forward is to uh, join forces with anyone in this audience who wants to build uh, longstanding crypto technology and infrastructure for Africa. And I will be announcing some, some things around my personal play. But we have essentially a mob of 140 amazing African black giants all over the world who are really serious about building the future of the internet and i'm just grateful for this room and happy to always connect with any and everybody that wants to speak thank you so much for sharing that and i think everything you said is so relevant for for the topic um today so thank you again for 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 coming forward and and um sharing your your thoughts and uh sharing about the projects that you're working with and the upliftment and empowerment um of the of the african creators um, we have reached the end of our discussion uh, for today. Just to quickly recap, um, you know, I think the, the the message that we've seen is that there's huge opportunity uh, for the creation of NFTs in Africa. I think the the NFT market is a huge market if we're looking at a $1 billion market globally. And I think we need to grow uh, the creators and, and the money coming um, into Africa um, you know, and, and let Africa take its rightful place in the center stage um, because we don't have, uh, we, we have the talent, we have the creators, we have, you know, all, all uh, everything that we need. We probably, uh, and we need, we have the platforms like uh, the, the, the crypto platform that Eric can just, just describe, which is giving the exposure that is required. Um, as we heard from some of our uh, guests, um, definitely hurdles and challenges that are very unique to some of our jurisdictions in Africa that obviously still need to be overcome, uh, that, that create certain types of barriers. 
but I think the opportunity is still there and very hopeful to see um, where we go from here and hopeful that uh, regulations uh, do create um, an environment for innovations and for creators to, to thrive rather than to stifle um, uh, the creators and, and, and the innovations. Um, if you are in a position to support um, NFT creators, uh, invest in artwork, um, you know, why uh, look local, look, look on the continent. Um, if, if you are in that position, there's so much of talent um, uh, right here. So you don't need to, to look uh, very far. Please support um, our local people. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, the, the, the messages that we, we're going to close with is um, we, we're ready for opportunity um, and we need to really support, uplift and empower each other. Um, thank you again for joining us, uh, joining Vault's first discussion um, on Clubhouse. We will be hosting more of these um, on different topics. So please do do follow us on Twitter, vaultlaw underscore tech. Um, and you can see what discussions we have uh, coming up next. Uh, thank you. Thank you to everybody. Uh, Dean and Ashton, any closing comments? No, um, I think Nurska, you summarized it excellently, except to say thank you to everyone for joining. Thanks to everyone. Let's uh, continue engaging on social media and uh, we look forward to hosting you next time. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Vault Podcast. As a reminder, all views expressed are those of the speakers and are not meant to be of any organization or be treated as legal or financial advice. We hope you've enjoyed this program. To receive updates of upcoming events, please follow us on our Twitter handle at vaultlaw underscore tech or subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website www.vaultlaw.tech. Till next time.